Purple elephant shower thought of the day. The best part of a cucumber tastes like the worst part of a watermelon. And if you're wondering, what does that have to do with this episode? Absolutely nothing. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. All right, so today's guest is um, another Mizzou teacher. Uh, she's been teaching for three years, filmmaker, freelancer, uh, freelancer in the kind of Midwest film industry, which will be uh, unique to talk about. Um, and I'm here with Melissa Lewis. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I, when I was doing like a little bit of research, kind of looking at your website, what you've been doing you do a lot of stuff. I mean, I think you, as a freelancer, you're kind of have your foot in a little bit of everywhere. You, it seems like based on your bio on, you know, I was looking on LinkedIn and your websites, um, you do a lot. And I, so I just want to start off, take it back before you've been doing all this freelancing stuff, filmmaking stuff. Where did it start? And we'll start with like the filmmaking kind of origin story. Where did that love begin? That is, that is a great question. You know, I don't, I don't um, often get to tell that story actually, but um, it's, it's definitely, there was a specific moment, a specific event, a specific day. (laughs) Um, And uh, I don't know, I think, I think probably a lot of your followers can relate to with um, being like young and not sure what you want to do with your life. Um, So when I was uh, in my, when I was probably about 20 years old, I enrolled into a community college and I had a lot of different interests um, and they were all pretty creative, but fairly isolating, you know, uh, writing, uh, music, uh, photography, all of these things that were, um, it was hard to find one path that felt fulfilling. And uh, I started volunteering in the community with some different events, uh, like the, they, there's these big family um family events in some of the parks, um, clean up the rivers, clean up Columbia. Um, and then a friend of mine, a girl I met from, she went to Stevens college in Columbia. We met at a party and she invited me to do art for the citizen Jane film festival with her as a volunteer. She knew I was kind of looking for different volunteer gigs because I was just trying to find what piqued my interest. And I wanted something that was more socializing. Um, And uh, I ended up doing just some different prop art for some of the different parties and events. And uh, she was a cinematographer for the for the uh, festival as well. And um, it was near the end of the festival and we were both pretty wore out. We had done all this art. We were at the party. We were celebrating in our design, dancing with all these people at the festival. And her job was to also film it. And it was late and she was tired and she just wanted to have a beer. And I said, you know what? Give me your camera. I will just show me how to use it and I'll just shoot some stuff. And she was like, really, you would do that? And I said, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, just show me how to use it. And she put it in my hands and turned it on auto and just kind of showed me how to hit record. And 
Um, I walked around and I ended up with that camera in my hands for the whole night. I didn't want to let it go. Just exploring compositions um, and interacting with people. And uh, the uh, the final night of the festival, the next night, they premiere all of that footage into a short document documentary of the festival. And all of my footage was in there. Um, and I was like, whoa, oh, my God, I made the cut. I made the cut, you know. Um, and so that just connected me with some different people who were in the film program at Stevens, um, the doc team for that festival. Uh, and, you know, they were, they just said, you know, Hey, you've, there's something here. Um, we see it. And I felt the same way. And I was about to be done with my associates and it was time to transfer somewhere. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm going to do film school. I'm just going to go for it. So the first time ever where I found a medium and I thought, I'm just going to put myself completely in there because I was always kind of a jack of all traits, master of none kind of personality before I would dabble. I dabbled in painting. I dabbled in the piano, you know, everything. And it's just nothing hooked me. But here's filmmaking, which is this all this all encompassing. It's photography, you know, it's videography, it's writing, it's music, it's people, it's creativity. And you're doing it with others. And it just was this aha moment for me where I was like, this is my field. This is what I want to do forever. Um, and I think what else, what, what the other thing that striked me about it is that I've always been kind of dual minded, um, as creative as I've described myself. I'm also incredibly analytical. I like to plan. I like to organize. I like to crunch numbers. You know, I considered being an art history teacher with a minor in, in accounting. Like I was like, what am I going to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, my mom always was like, do something that you can fall back on, do something with math, you know? And so with film, there's also this uh, this dual nature about it, which is that it's incredibly creative and collaborative, but it can also be just um, project management. It can be, um, and you know, that's where I've gravitated more in my commercial work. Um, and I find equal fulfillment in both of those things. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting. And I finally feel comfortable to where I wanna ask for your support. So in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck, five bucks, or ten bucks a month. Now this money is going to help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. Yeah, I think for myself, because I mean, I'm right at the age when you kind of found your love for filmmaking. Um, I'm kind of learning more about that other world, the analytical commercial world of filmmaking um, as seeing it like a why not do both like have the shorts but don't expect i mean for myself like i'm not expecting that to be the the career that i spend the rest of my life doing it's like i can enjoy the shorts and not have to think about doing this to turn a profit and then at the same time do kind of commercial work while maintaining filmmaking still able to do that stuff and maybe it's not as creative but there's definitely still a creative element in i think any commercial work there is. And I think and I think to be a good production coordinator or producer or, you know, project manager, whatever it is, um, you have to be inspired 
you know, you have to, there's got to be good leadership, a really strong vision for you to want to do, you know, to pull um, all of the resources and the energy and the time that it takes to plan something like that. And, and, you know, and we change, I went into film school thinking I wanted to be a vid, uh, uh, I wanted to be art director for music videos. That's specifically what I wanted to do. Art direction for music videos. I came out of it wanting to be a a executive producer, you know, I want to, and, and a director. And then I evolved over time into now I want, you know, now I'm, I'm more interested in coordinating and, uh, you know, line producing and not that those other things, you know, those other interests aren't still there, but, you know, we, we do, we change and we evolve. And when our life, you know, moves linear like that, our surroundings shift too, and your environment and, you know, you look, you learn new stressors, you know, triggers, you learn new challenges, things about yourself you didn't know, you know, as you get into your later twenties and your early thirties and, you start to, it's not just a matter of what am I good at and what do I like to do, but it also becomes this, this question of like, what's sustainable? What's something I can do for a long time? And I think the stress, the, in the, and the, um, the intensity of being a director of being in total creative control, I found that that wasn't sustainable for me. It's something that I like to do in spurts, but I don't know if it's something I can do always. You know, and so that's where that more analytical side where it's like, I can always plan, I can always crunch numbers, that stuff doesn't stress me out, you know, <laughs> so um, it's a balance. Um, and, the, and so this field is really multifaceted. And so it's incredible, because you can, you can, like you said, you have this specific interest, but when you dabble in the other ones, like the, it just comes naturally, and you can shift and morph into any position. Yeah. And I feel like I, I kind of want to dive more into the specifics, because I feel like we're talking around like all these different things but I want to talk about your specific um journey in a sense but I, I want to dive into kind of the the self-starting side of things where uh, I want to hear about VidWest the F VidWest filmmakers project and I mean I know um you know with COVID that seems to have um been like on the down low but what was that journey like building it and then maybe uh, like how it's evolved and what it's like now. Yeah. Um, you know, I can give you the real backstory. I'm because I'm more, I'm more integral and like crucially involved in its, its um, conception. Um, it started with when I graduated film school, um, I was 26. Um, and you know, because I started school later, it took me, you know, it took me six years to get a degree because I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't start until I was 20. So uh, I was 26. And um, I was coming out of school. And, you know, and I, I had, I went into it thinking I wanted to be a music video art director, I came out of it thinking I want to direct a music video festival. Um, and so for two years, I, um, I just, you know, I'm from Columbia, so I've been in this community a while, um, and I, you know, just, just networking with different collaborators and people in town, and um, a friend of mine, Matt Schacht, um, he's actually the president of the Midwest Filmmakers Project currently. He, you know, he saw these interests that I had and this idea, and then he saw a musician and, a, and an entrepreneur, and she had this idea, and somebody else had this idea, and it, they were different ideas, but he was like, you know what, you all need to meet each other and talk about your ideas. And we came together and um, Midwest Music Video Fest 
was born, this conception. And it was like my baby. It was almost like I had just gotten my bachelor's and I was enrolling into my own master's program. That's how it felt. You know, I did this two years, this deep dive into how do you put on a festival? Um, and I had experience from from volunteering for True False and from working on Citizen, with Citizen Jane Film Festival. And so I, I did have this kind of built-in knowledge, this skeleton of how you can put something on. Um, but it was very much self-starting in that like, we're, we, we made the blueprint, you know. Um, we, we, it, the festival didn't exist before. We had to completely build its skeleton and figure out how does this work. And it did take, it took two years. We launched and had the festival um, uh, in June of 2018, um, that summer, for the first or third, I believe, in downtown Columbia, Missouri, in the North Village Arts District. Um, and it was successful. It was fabulous. You know, we had um, filmmakers and musicians from around the country, actually. Um, we we flew some people in. We had a producer and a director come in from um, from Portland, Oregon. We had a filmmaker from Israel who was studying, getting his master's in New York. His his film was, or his, you know, music video was really cool. He came in. Um, a lot of different artists from Kansas City. Uh, we had a, a a rapper musician from California. Um, and it was just this really cool event that in interwove mu screening music videos, um, live music performances, um, Q and A's, um, concerts, parties. So it was this three day event that really kicked off and it was super fun. You know, we raised $10,000 to put it together. Um, and a lot of that was just really me walking door to door, like not to, you know, from, from, industry to industry, company to company, you know, going to the bank who I got, a, you know, got a tip that they like to invest in their community and saying, hey, this is why you should invest. Um, you know, and we were able to put it on all volunteers, all sweat, blood and tears. Um, but it was really cool. And so we had this little flame, this little like Midwest, this name, right? And there people were like Midfest, Midwest Fest, music video, you know, they didn't know how to say it, but they knew something. The Midwest Fest, you know <laughs> Um, and we were like, yeah, it's Midwest, Midwest. There was this energy behind it. True False was interested, you know, Citizen Jane was at its end. It was dying. Um, and, and, you know, all of these things were kind of being passed over. And we were like, what do we do with this? And so we sat on it for a little bit. You know, we were we were wore out. We were all working for free for two years. Um, you know, we it, it it took a lot to put that on. And so we sat on it for about six months. And then one day, Matt Schacht, who the, the guy who kind of saw these different people and was like, let's meet. He was like, hey, Melissa, let's talk about this flame. Let's talk about this. So we got together at Ragtag um, Cinema over at, the, you know, Uprise Bakery. And we sat down, him and Robin Anderson and I, the three of us who were the, you know, we um, were the creators of the Music Fest. And we said, let's start a nonprofit. Let's Columbia Access Television is um, retiring itself. It's putting itself to rest. Let's start a nonprofit. If we start a nonprofit, we can get grants. We can get city funding. We can open a media center. We can do another music festival, video festival. We can do anything. And so we did. We created Midwest um, Filmmakers Project, which is kind of the umbrella nonprofit. Uh, and we, we received, uh, you know, fast forward a year. We received funding from the city. We received the funding that Columbia Access Television used to have. We inherited all of their gear. We partnered with True False Film Festival um, and now expanded their, um, their warehouse. Um, so now we have this large location that's shared. Um, and we 
um, we kind of resurrected Columbia Access Television, but we're in the process of renaming it the Vidwest Studios. So um, it's a lot of moving parts still. We're, I mean, we're still like yesterday I was working on um, the, the content for the website, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm on the board as secretary, right? Robin's treasurer, Matt's president, and then we have other board members. And we're just kind of, we have this money, but we're trying not to spend it on anything but building the studios. We've got a big green screen set up. We've got a photography studio set up. We've got editing bays. We have gear, lights, and it's all currently accessible, but it's still under um, CAT TV. So it's still CAT memberships, and we're just mm. still in that process of transitioning. And so what um, is, what's the transition? Because you said you want to transition it to VidWest Studios. Is that what is that looking like to you? Are you imagining it where, you know, maybe students are just graduated and, you know, don't have access to um, the filmmaking equipment? Are they going to um, come to you? Because I think, and this is a tangent, but just the idea of television in general, especially like my age um, and, you know, the people coming out of college, I think it is, I, th I think it's fair to say that it's dead to a lot of people. Yes. So what is the transition looking like with VidWest Studios? This is a really great question. I'm so glad you bring it up because it's something that at every single board meeting every month we have to talk about this. Columbia Access Television, a.k.a. CAT TV, had put itself to rest. It made an announcement to the community, and it had a following. It was a little bit of an older following, um, and it had the local TV channel and the studios. And we said to the city, this is antiquated. That's why you don't want to fund it. And they say, well, why should we fund you? Why should we give you these resources and fund you? And we said, because we're different. Because we want to phase out the TV channel, but we want to keep the studios. And we want to do cinema-driven events for our community, like Vidwest Music Video Fest. Also, Como Shorts, if you're familiar with the Short Film Festival, that's Vidwest as well. Um, Matt Schacht is the, um, the creator, creative mind behind that project. Um, so we're actually working. The city still says, hey, you still have to provide content. You still have to provide content to the, to our community. And so we're working on creating a streaming platform to replace the TV channel because, like we said, it's, it's antiquated. It's outdated. People aren't watching TV. Um, but we want to completely eradicate that aspect of it at some point. We're just, we're just having to um, keep our funders happy if that makes sense, but we're investing our money into live streaming. We put a lot of um, our money into a live stream streaming setup that we've been able to generate. Um, and the, like I said, those studios, the studios are open. The editing bays are open because of COVID. We haven't had a chance to do like a real launch party or to really put ourselves out there. And because we're still working on our marketing, we haven't really put ourselves out there. So right now it's this, these niche, kind of groups, these people who knew Cat TV, these people who knew the music video festival, and they're just sort of like on the fringe and they have the information, but the whole community, we're, we're almost ready to branch out to them. We're very close, but you know, a, the example you gave, like a student who graduated, maybe they want to stay in Columbia a couple of years, start working in the networking in the community, build a portfolio. Um, they could today, they could right now, um, get a membership for cat TV, which is actually Vidwest. Vidwest filmmakers project owns that. Um, and that would give them access to the studios, um, to the gear, to everything. And 
And our, our whole mission is to make it accessible to the community. So it's inexpensive memberships. We're not turning profits, right? The cities who funds us, um, you know, uh, our sponsors and um, people who donate, they're the ones that fund us. I don't know everything. Everything else is for you all. It's for the community. Yeah, that's so I, I just love the idea of that. And I I wonder because Columbia, I mean, I'm sure, you know, if anyone who wasn't I mean, obviously, the people listening to this are probably Mizzou students, just people that I know. But, you know, when people think of film, like, where do I go for filmmaking? They're thinking like L.A., maybe New York, maybe Chicago um, and, you know, some up and coming places like for bigger stuff like Atlanta, maybe um, Austin, Austin, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, L.A. Yep. Mm -hmm. But I wonder why. Why do you want to keep it? I mean, I know you're a Columbia native, but why do you want to keep it here? Why do you want to build something in Columbia rather than move out to a bigger place? That's a great question. Um, you know, there, there aren't features here, right. In Missouri, even, even features that are based in Missouri are shot in Georgia. Right. And that's because that's where the grants are. Um, the grants aren't here. Um, so the, the film industry here is it's commercial primarily. Every few years you get a movie that comes through, but not often. Um, and so it's true that, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more allure to moving to the coast or to one of these, you know, hubs of film. Um, you know, and when I was in, when I was in film school, it was, you know, I was the only one who had aspirations of staying here, of starting a festival of, you know, networking in the Midwest. And, and that's just because I want to do what I love where I love to be. Like I, I'm a Midwestern girl. I've traveled I, and I love Los Angeles. Um, I, you know, I love the Northwest. Um, I have a lot of friends in different places. Um, but you know, if I lived in those places, I couldn't afford to travel or I'd be working so much that I wouldn't be traveling. You know, there's, there's a pace to the Midwest and there's a pace to Columbia and Surrey. And I like that pace. Um, and so I think it's still so important to see everyone's early work. Um, Como Shorts, you know, uh, for example, is it's Midwestern shorts. It's Missouri made, Columbia made short films. Um, and it's just inspiring to see what we can create anywhere. You know, this digital media is so accessible. Anyone can tell a story. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can, I mean, I think of movie Tangerine, like I know that they used, you know, special iPhone lenses and rigs and things, but still like that movie was shot on an iPhone. And I think it's what I, you know, I'm tangenting here, but I think that's what I love about teaching digital storytelling at the University of Missouri is that it's this accessible for the first time ever um, movie making and digital storytelling is accessible. Um, and then I, and I, you know, to circle back, my, my family's here. Um, I have a long-term relationship and, and we have, you know, plans for the future and, the, and those plans are in the Midwest. Um, so I just want to see the thing that I love in the place that I love. And, and I think, that, um, you know, you move out somewhere and you find opportunities, you move out to LA and you look for opportunities, but in a place like Columbia, you can actually create opportunities. Yeah. And so that's, what's kind of cool about it. Yeah. And I, I, I think that idea of like building something from scratch is so much more 
rewarding than kind of searching for something that's already established. I think the there's definitely a different feeling associated with it. But I wanted to circle back to um, something you said about, you know, it's so accessible now to make films. People can use their phone. In my interview with Desiree, there was kind of this overarching idea with the digital storytelling major where you're teaching stories and not skills because the skills the equipment for the skills is being replaced practically every day and it's not too hard to learn because there's so many resources that are free out there so i wonder to take it to transition to teaching how do you teach storytelling to students because obviously i mean would you agree with that statement that like the skills and the equipment is easy enough to learn absolutely and so you know I teach a few different courses. I teach an intro to digital media course, which is anybody in the arts program, arts department, basically visual arts um, has to take it. And so that course is very heavy digital media, right? Not a ton of storytelling. I think you were in that class with me at one point. Um, and and the main, you know, and, and so in that class, it, I think it's really important to teach those introductory things because once you know them you know once you know how to use a simple like canon t3i like a simple dslr and you understand the exposure triangle then you are able to to use any camera you know and watch a tutorial or you know um or someone can teach you how to use it so having that fundamental those foundations are really important um but then after that yeah, it's absolutely story because it is so accessible. Anyone can shoot on auto or on their phone and tell a story. And so what sets you apart from the rest is, is at the end of the day, your story. Um, and for me, I try to focus on with this kind of storytelling, it's different than um, a novel. Um, and even with students, it's different than a feature film, you know, um, storytelling in short format in particular um because we tell short stories right as students we don't have the resources to tell features we don't have the time we don't have the money we tell short stories and short format's so much different than long format it really is and specifically speaking to the film industry shorts exist because it gives your audience it gives producers a snippet of what you could do if you had the resources for a feature you know that's one way to approach that world if you want to be a director you're not going to go to LA and apply for a director job. You're not going to go apply to direct the next, you know, Marvel's film. Like that's not how it works. Right. You have to start, I mean, you have to start making your own films. You have to start making short films. You have to get on the festival circuit, um, get noticed, get fun, basically funded, have somebody say, I want to, I want to fund this story, write the feature. Um, And so understanding that maybe you have this grand story in mind and all this character development and you have this this story you want to tell, but understanding that um, at first you must find a way to tell it in six minutes or 10 minutes, which means that you, you can't fit in all that character development. You can't fit in all that backstory. So you have to find visual and auditory ways of doing that. You know, Um, you have to show instead of tell. Right. Because there isn't enough time to have a dialogue scene where you explain the plot. Right. So instead we see some photographs or, uh, you know, a wristband or there's some kind of symbolic symbolism in there that tells you, oh, this 
person has this backstory. This person is the way they are because of that. You know, in a second, and just seeing one image in a second, you know so much. In just an opening scene, you can learn so much about a character and the story, and no one has to say anything, mm-hmm. and no one has to be go anywhere. Um, I hope I'm explaining that okay. No, you are. Okay, and that's always my emphasis with teaching digital storytelling and teaching filmmaking to students, to aspiring filmmakers, um, is to find out how to tell your short your stories um, in a short version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I because this podcast isn't focused solely on filmmakers. It's also, you know, whether it's artists, graphic designers, musicians. I, I kind of I think that advice is applicable of just be able to tell the micro version, be able to show kind of your idea without maybe telling with the full resources that you could have. Um, But I wondered to take it to like this expanded of any creative medium, because I agree. I mean, shorts are the route to, if that's your goal, making a feature film, but a lot of people make shorts and there aren't a lot of feature films that get made. So I wonder what I mean, whether if you want to take it to student work or just in your personal work, how do you make a short film stand out that you've seen, like maybe from your students and you don't have to say any names? Sure. Um, I think that the best short stories, whether you're a filmmaker or just um or, you know, or just a student, if you're a student aspiring to make films, or if you're, you know, like someone like me, I'm still, I still make shorts, you know? Um, I think the best ones are slice of life short films. Stories that are, um, they, they don't explode. There's not big scenes. There's not big action. Um, it's micro, it's every story, every character has a character arc and line, right? And shape. I think of Kurt Vonnegut when he talks about the curves of a character, the curve of a story, right? You have this, this axis of good fortune and bad fortune and the beginning and the end and your character, your, your protagonist should move up and down on good and bad fortune, right? You have the underdog story. They start really low and then they succeed. You know, you have the Cinderella story. She's at the very bottom and then she has eternal happiness. Um, or you start way at the top and then they, you know, the, you know, girl loses guy and then gets guy back, you know, or finds out that she's beautiful without a guy or whatever, you know? So these stories are all the same shape, but it's just different characters in different environments. Um, and so I think the stories that are the most interesting, the short films that are the most exciting are the ones that have the smallest lines um, one of my favorite films a student did uh, was um, Ryan Groom. I'll say it. You can cut it out if you want. But he made he made this film called The Dishes or Dishes, I think. And it played at Como Shorts, actually. And it was just a it was it took place in 24 hours. And it was about two roommates and one of them who refused to do the dishes. Um, and so that's so minuscule right like there's no big arc like you just they get in an argument he goes on skateboards he's supposed to do the dishes he'd rather move out the or avoid going home he avoids his roommate avoids going home 
calls and sees if he can stay with the friend for a couple of days because he just doesn't want to do the dishes. But there's so much more to it, right? That's that surface plot, very simple. But underneath, I mean, it's about procrastination. It's about like this kind of slacker culture, right? There's a lot of this like angst and youth tied into it. Um, you know, like just having to grow up, you know, having being outside. It says so much more. That that short film could expand it into a tie, an entire feature about a failing and you know college kid who has you know he's try he's lost in school he's not focused right maybe and, and i mean it could be i think about the movie um a uh, big time adolescence with pete davidson did you see that okay i mean that that's a great example of how something like the dishes can turn into something like um, big time adolescence, different films, but the same themes, they have the same themes. And so that's what you have to do whenever you have this big idea and you have to scale it back to meet your resources. You have to say what you have to extract, not the plot because the plot has to change for it to be short. You cannot have the same plot, but it needs to have the same themes, the same emotional, the same message. And then any story and any plot, it can be told. And I, what I suggest to filmmakers who are making shorts is to find the the short films that their favorite directors made you know to to find the also to find the short film that inspired the feature because there's so many of them one of my favorite examples i play for my students is a short called hellion um, and the feature is also called hellion and the short takes place in about three hours it's uh three boys who their their mom's gone dad's at work um the two older boys start a fire they tie up their babysitter and they're just like screaming and being you know kind of these like redneck kids in this like rough and tough neighborhood right like kind of trailer park style dad comes home brings all the boys inside and one by one he takes them into the room to spank them right and that's the story like and in the end the youngest brother like he he gets away with it. The dad doesn't actually spank him, right? And there's this softness to him. But then the feature is a, takes place over the course of a summer. Uh, the boys are a little bit older. One of them's into dirt biking. The dad has this love story, side interest. It's this big drama, right? Like completely different characters, but the same story, father and son story, um, you know, struggling financially youth like hot summertime you know i mean it's all there so you have to extract those themes and apply them to a different plot yeah and a to plot. take it back to the vidwest filmmakers project and vidwest studios is that kind of the the films you want people to make with like using your studios is like kind of those base level i mean i, I wouldn't even say base level just shorter style films that you know might blossom into a feature and they might not I would love that. I hope that the short format that is approachable, accessible, can put somebody on the map. If if, if you want to direct a film, I, I would love, like, if you're in Colombia right now and that's your aspiration, you want to make your own portfolio, you want to start directing, I would love if you rented our studio, you know, or, you know, became a member, utilized the studio, utilized the gear made your own shorts, submitted them to Como shorts, submitted them to festivals around the world um, and found your start that way. Absolutely. But, you know, we also do, we do all kinds of, of stuff with Midwest. Um, I mean, we have a lot of photographers that come through. 
and do portraiture. Um, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned like all kinds of makers, it's kind of a maker space, you know, we have, um, the entire Adobe suite. So, I mean, that we're talking, you know, in design for, for graphic designers, Photoshop for photographers, it's all there. Um, I lean, Matt and I both lean heavier into the film because those are our backgrounds, you know, that's what we, what we do as professionals. Um, but it's for everybody. Yeah. It's all digital media, really. Mm -hmm. So I know, I mean, when you, at Mizzou, you're teaching um, kind of more, uh, I don't know what the word is, classic narrative style, whether that's short films or just people planning on going in the film industry with kind of whatever that means. But I feel like maybe one of the things that isn't taught as heavily, and it's not like avoided, but just this idea of like commercial work and whether that's at Mizzou or, you know, film schools. Cause I mean, when people think of film school, they're thinking highly artistic, you know, whatever other adjectives you want to add, but what would be your advice for someone aspiring to be videographer, video editor, freelancer mm -hmm. in kind of the more commercial space? Um, that's a great question. Um, you gotta, you gotta meet your community. You gotta, you have to network with your community. If you're a student, I don't encourage you to do that. I'll tell you because in my own personal experience on both ends, as a student once who tried to be free, who tried to freelance while I was learning. And as a teacher who I, who I see students trying to freelance while they're learning, you're, I would encourage you to just wash dishes, wait tables and work, put your heart into your projects because that's your portfolio. That's what gets you jobs. Um, to this day, when somebody refers me to be a production coordinator and the, and <clears throat> the line producer reaches out or the, you know, the project manager reaches out and says, Hey, uh, would you be available for these dates? Great. Cool. What's your experience? Great. Can you send us some of your latest work? I'm not even applying, I'm not even doing a creative job and they still want to see what I've worked on. You know, they still want to see a list of my filmography or a couple of clips of what I've done. Um, every job I get, they want to see my work. And so instead of stretching yourself thin in school um, and half-assing your assignments and half-assing your freelance gigs, just focus on, if you're in school, focus on your projects, make them good because they might land you a job. And if you're going towards filmmaking the non-traditional way without school, really put all of your heart into your early freelance gigs, you know, build that portfolio and then, and meet people, make connections. That might mean going to film festivals, going to local showcases, um, doing your homework, you know, researching online. There was a gal who went to MU here, moved out to LA for five years, did film and then moved back here. And she found me on the internet and emailed and said, would you want to get coffee? And I said, sure. And now she's directing a documentary here in town for, for the Missouri symphony. So I, you know, it's just um, getting to know people, finding your network, uh, you know, relying on each other. It really is a game of who, you know, um, and I don't mean that as in um, it's like this elitist kind of approach, but you have to do a good job too. That's the other thing, because if I fail, if I don't do, if I show up as a production coordinator and I suck, I'm unorganized. I forget to order lunch. I forget to have the, you know, sign the release forms, uh, whatever. 
and the line producer is like, Hey, how, so how was our, how was the coordinator? And they're like, uh, she wasn't great. I'm not going to get a call back. And then, and also they're not going to refer me when other people call them and say, Hey, do you know a producer? Hey, do you, um, and, and this is also because you don't see, um, those kinds of jobs. They're not like listed on indeed, you know, they're not like, uh, I've only ever a couple of times seen like a commercial come through and they put a job listing out and said they needed production assistance. Usually you just call the people that you get a refer from. Like um, you just, I went to school with a gal. She's in LA now. She works on docu-series and she gave my name to a producer when they were shooting in Peoria, which is like four hours away, but they needed someone in the Midwest. And, ra- and rather than just finding a stranger in Peoria they would much rather go with a referral and pay for them to drive four hours. Yeah. And I, so it's, sorry, sorry. I, I answered no, 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 kind you're of good. long-winded. Cause but, I, I want to dive deeper into what you're talking about is just networking. Cause I honestly networking. think we could focus the rest of the episode on this because it's such an important thing. And I think it's for myself personally, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but it can feel scary and it's become less scary as I've, made more friends who are filmmakers, but it just the idea of talking with, you know, not classmates, um, talking with people who are in the industry can feel scary. And I feel like I'm not alone in that. So what would be your advice for networking as a student or just for mm-hmm. students or very people who are new? This is such a great question, and I'm going to answer it. And it might not be the answer that we want to hear, but um, I remember being scared, too. I remember being a film student. um, And at Citizen Jane Film Festival, our teacher said, your homework is you have to network with three people at the festival. That was our homework. And I was like, what? They were like, you have to meet a filmmaker. You have to meet a producer. You've got to start a conversation with somebody waiting in a line for a movie ticket. And I was like, this is terrifying. And I went to like my favorite film. I was so excited for it. And I waited till the end. I went up to the director and I was just like, so shy. I was like, it's my favorite movie. I'm also a filmmaker. She's like, what have you made? And I was like, no, well, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm in school. <laughs> like, wait, I'm not a filmmaker. I can't say that. I'm aspiring. I'm aspiring. So, so what I'm getting at here is that you kind of can't completely network yet because you're not what you want you know, you're not on the same plane and that's okay. Um, this is my advice is to wait to network until you're where you want to live. That's another, that's really an, or at least want to be there for a while. People in your community don't want to invest in you unless they think you're sticking around. You know, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of students who like, I'm one of those teachers where I get a lot of students who want to know if there's internship opportunities. Can I refer them for something? Can I, you know, write a letter of recommendation? Um, could I pitch their story to someone in the community? And I love doing that stuff because I love collaborating with students um, in particular. But I'm more hesitant with the students who who aren't going to stick around. And it's just because you put, that's a lot of it's asking a lot of your community, you know, we're, it's a small, no matter where you live and there's a, there's a film community or whatever art community, um, it's small where you live. It's always, they're tight. They really are. Um, and so it's this little bubble and, and sometimes we're cautious of letting others in because, you know, we're sharing resources. We're, we're referring one another. We're all making an ends meet and we're trying to anyway, um, and so there's not, sometimes there isn't love to, to pass around there. And, but, and then other times, um, 
you know, it just, we, there's also the uncertainty that it would interfere with your schoolwork or that um, you wouldn't be able to, to um, produce the content you normally would because you're bogged down, you're a full-time student. So I, that's what I'm, I think I mean about um, when you're a student, focus on your projects rather than trying to network. Because unless, you, for example, at Mizzou, unless you're planning on staying in Columbia for a couple of years after you graduate, um, then just, just put your, you know, nose in that book, stay on the grind, do it, and then go where you want to live, then establish yourself. And then once you're established, give it a year, you know, move somewhere, be there for a year, go to festivals, go, you know, go, go to these different events, go to screenings, whatever it is. And then you start to know the town, you start to naturally meet people and networking becomes all of a sudden you're having a conversation over a cocktail. You don't even realize you're networking anymore. You know, um, it just comes natural because you're part of that environment. You're part of that community. You're there. Um, you know, it's like it's like going fishing and making a lot of noise before you cast versus standing there for a few hours. You know, if you're eager to meet people, you're fresh and you don't know if you're going to be here or not in a year, the fish are going to swim away. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. But the, I think the one area I have to disagree with you on is not in the networking because clearly you know way more than me, but this idea of when you're a student, just like doing your projects and nothing else. I personally feel for myself, um, you know, I'm only in one filmmaking class at the moment and we only make two projects this whole semester. And I feel like I, I mean, I'm doing this podcast for nothing other than to put it out there. I feel like maybe it's just like a, a rational drive, but I feel like I need to be doing more than just the projects I'm assigned because it doesn't feel like enough. Do you have a counterpoint to that? I do, um, which is that it's so much better to come out of a semester with two really good pieces of portfolio than like six okay ones, um, which means that going slow is good. When I was a film student, Stevens College, they modeled their program after um, a master's program, actually. Um, I was told by the director of the program at the time. And a lot of our classes, I came out of that with only two th things that I was proud of out of that program, what is typically a four-year program. But that's because some classes, it was one assignment. You had one production for the whole class. You had four months to do a whole production. And that means that you have so much time to put in, to put in your research, to put in your pre-production, to create storyboards, to test shoot, to go out and make a lighting plan, to know every lens you're going to use, to, uh, to cast, your ca you know, hold casting calls, everything, a good story. And, and this is arguable too, because some people, you might have a story that just takes place in one loca location with two characters and it's hilarious and it's a single camera and it's really simple, but when you're producing, you get an opportunity to produce a higher quality story with the excess time. Um, and so I, I personally loved having that, those classes that was just like one or two stories, one or two films to make. And now, you know, I teach classes where it's like we're cramming in four or five assignments and it gets to the point where the students feel like it's just work and they're just churning it out. And it's just another thing to do rather than a story and an opportunity to tell a story, you know, um, so 
so I guess that's one angle of it. And, and, and I agree with you where you feel like, you know, you want to be doing more, you want to be creating more. Um, you feel maybe stagnant in this program right now. And that might, that could mean some different things. I mean, that could mean it's not stimulating enough for you, or it's not the right program, or you do want to start creating outside of the classroom. But I do, I do caution that you wait until you're where you want to be environmentally yeah location really I really do think it's because it takes a lot it takes time to network because you have to build relationships it has to be natural um you know I don't think I'm ever gonna shake someone's hand at a and just be like oh nice to meet you and then the next day give them a, a job referral you know because it's like I need to work with them I need to get to know them you know um it's a slow climb I mean I'm from here and I went to film school and I'm 30 now. And in this last year, am I finally making the day rate that I feel like I deserve, you know, as a, as a freelancer, you know, and it, and it, I only got the job because of a producer that I started working with last year. She couldn't do it. And she referred me, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just that kind of thing where it took like three years for this person to, to start throwing me a bone. Um, and we're friends, you know, and we have that professional relationship and that balance. And it just takes time. Yeah. It does. And I, I wonder, because um, another piece that you've been saying, or, okay, scratch that. I want to talk about um, when it comes to networking, like the internet. I, I think, especially with COVID now, I mean, a lot of your networking tips have been, you know, going to festivals, which will come back very I hope very soon. Um, and then that becomes, yes, a very viable means. But when it comes to, you know, the internet and social media, do you think that can be useful? I think of something like Facebook groups or I I don't know, Facebook groups comes to mind, but do you think that there are viable means of networking in the sense that you describe, or it's building that friendship on Mm -hmm. the internet, on social media? Yeah. You know, I think absolutely. And I feel like um, there's different platforms. Like in Colombia, for example, I've I've seen like auditions in Colombia on Facebook. And, um, you know, I I started a writer's group several years ago that sort of fizzled out as VidWest became more of the forefront. But um, I met a lot of different people through that writer's group uh, where we read each other's scripts or each other's short films and network and talk about stories and, um, there's absolutely a platform for that. And, you know, one way to get into the community is to, to volunteer. I mean, that's how I found my way. That's how I met Stevens College women who were in the film program. That's how I met the director of Citizen Jane. It's how I, you know, a camera ended up in my hands. So not just going to these events, but but the behind the scenes is what's more valuable. Because when you go and you're in, in the audience, it's that awkward, like, how do I strike a conversation with a filmmaker? But if you're working the event... If you're taking tickets or you're shooting the, you know, taking photos or you're pouring the drink, it's a lot easier to start that conversation. And it says to them, oh, you're here. You're from here. This is your community. But it's most I mean, it's most important to 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 work out those relationships with your community. Like I can meet whoever from L.A., but they're never going to call me. You know what I mean? But if I if I'm volunteering and I meet another volunteer and we're both filmmakers in this town and we exchange emails, we're probably going to follow up with each other. And I think I, I don't I don't know if I lost it there. I went back to the but because of the online situation, I think 
I think absolutely. You could look for writers groups. You could look for um, theater and film groups. If there's anything, you can do your homework um, that way. Um, you know, um, you can look up people in your community. Like I said, the the gal who moved back, who went to school here and moved back, and she emailed me and we got coffee. You know, um, and now she's working on, you know, she she met more people and she's just working on stuff. She just put herself out there and said, hey, I'm going to be here for a while. I want to meet my community. Um, so so I, I can never stress it enough that no matter what way you reach out, whether it's online or in person, it's just important that you become part of that community and you're invested in it because these networks are small, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of the small network, um, you've mentioned like a lot of the people you've kind of talked about maybe have a commercial gig and then they're working on a, uh, you know, short film. How closely is this kind of triangle between like making documentaries, making commercial work, making uh, narrative films? Is it from your network? Do you see it very tightly? Like you work on all three? Yes. Yeah. And some are paid and some aren't, right? Mm. The commercial stuff's paid, right? Sometimes the documentaries are paid. Sometimes they're not. And it's usually your documentary. You know what I mean? Like you're, I'm not out directing someone's film for free, but like I'll come, I'll come on a weekend and hold a boom for them or like help with light, you know, and you have to do some of that too. You have to, and it's just the same can be said for um, in the larger industries. You know, you got to start as a production coordinator. You got to just like work your ass off and bring coffees to people and like clean up their garbage. And then maybe, you know, you can get to know the DP a little bit when you're all having beers after and be like, I have aspirations for camera. And then maybe someday they need a second AC and they call you. You know what I mean? So it's it's the exact same ladder um, where it's, you know, uh Lizzie, the gal who moved back, you know, she just started coming around. She just started helping. She started volunteering, you know, on our creative projects. Um, we all kind of work on each other's, you know. Um, and then and then this documentary fell, the Mosey doc, the Missouri Theater Symphony doc fell into Matt's hands. And he called her and said, do you want to direct it? She, you know, she came to town with this really awesome film, you know, that she had done in school. And um he called me and said, Hey, do you want to edit it? You know, because I've edited for him a lot in the mm-hmm. past. So it's just kind of, that's how it works, you know? Yeah. Um, and do you think that there's some, like you said, do you think when there isn't that trust that has already been built, say like you've already edited uh, multiple films, like let's say uh, the new person who came in from LA, was it based on kind of, she had, worked her way kind of done her time in the kind of the smaller gigs and she had the portfolio to back her up do you think that combination is what kind of creates like a inclusion in a network uh that's an interesting question yeah you know i mean i think i think she she um she had this really great film that played at como shorts so she moved back and was like, hey, I've got experience. I've been in the industry working the grind. I've also been creating my own stuff. Here's my most recent work. Um, you know, like, and so it wasn't as, um, 
it wasn't as rigid though. It was more like, Hey, I'm just moving back here. I went to college here. I want to get to know the community. I saw you online. Would you want to get coffee? You know, just very casual. And then from coffee, it's like, Oh, tell me about what you've been doing in LA. Why do you want to come back to Columbia or why are you back? You know? Oh, cool. You should, can I watch your film? You should send me a link. Right. Um, and, you know, and she did her homework. She found people, reached out to them online. She found Como Shorts. She submitted her film to it. It played. There was a competition at Como Shorts to pitch a story, she, uh, you know, a film, and then it would be it would be funded through gear from from Midwest, right? Like sponsorship of in-kind trade. She won the pitch, right? So it's just like she, and so then she started working with Midwest, which is like me and Matt and those people, you know, and then he saw her as this director, saw her work and trusted that she could direct this documentary for the Missouri Symphony. You know, he saw her, her, he saw a film that she created, but he's also been seeing her directing style in the, in the way she wrote the script and the way she's pitching it and, you know, in her passion and her intelligence, her creativity, you know? Um, so I don't know if that quite answers your question, but. I mean, I think it did answer your, uh, my question of just, it's not that simple. <laughs> I mean, clearly there are so many steps to so many ways to go about it. And I think that's just one of many. Um, but as we're wrapping up this episode, um, I'm just going to kind of, I have one question that I like to end all the podcasts on and you can interpret it however you want, but can creativity be taught? Why or why not? Can creativity be taught? Yes. Um, I think that a lot of us, I think we're all creative. I think some of us have never found our medium for expression. So um, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of teaching creativity, but it's a matter of putting the right resources into someone's hands. Um, you might feel like you don't have a creative bone in your body, but maybe that's because you've never tried to play an instrument. Or maybe you've never tried to write a poem or maybe you've never had a camera and taken a photo, you know? Um, so I think it's, I think it's in all of us it's because, um, at the end of the day, creativity is just an expression of your, of your interpretation of life, right? It's just a form of expression that isn't always saying a sentence or it isn't always um, communicate. It's not communicated in the same form by any one creator usually. So, so I think to summarize, I think, I think create, I think everyone is creative um, and while I don't know if creativity can be taught, I think it's innate. So it's not that it needs to be taught. I think it's just that we need to, we have to find our outlet for it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. A great answer to end this episode on. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the podcast. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.